I'm Richard Lane doing the podcast for the issue of The Lancet dated December the 13th to the 19th. And this week's issue is a themed issue. It's all about a fantastic topic that is the right to health. And I'm joined by none other, who else, than uh, my colleague, Dr. Rona McDonald. Rona, there's such a lot to talk about. I should say, so we're not misleading listeners here, we're actually recording this on Wednesday, December the 10th, which is an incredibly important day, isn't it? That's right. Today is... International Human Rights Day, which is also the 60-year anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. As the world was emerging from the Second World War, this was an immensely important landmark because the Declaration provides the foundation of the International Code of Human Rights. So a very important day indeed. What's happening here in 2008 to not just celebrate that milestone but to come up with a plan of action for health and human rights? Well, the right to health, which the foundations of which were laid out in the Universal Declaration, has really been ignored up till now. It's been incorporated in almost every human rights treaty and in 2000, uh, General Comment 14 actually articulated what the right to the highest attainable standard of health was. But to be honest, not many people, including the health sector, well, especially the health sector, understand what it means, other than being a nice slogan that you can brand it around in the hope that it might mean something. So what we've done in this issue, or we've tried to do in this issue, is unpack exactly what the right to health is, to take it from rhetoric to reality, to show what it actually means, how it's a legal obligation, what it means in practice, what everyone should be doing about it. And through a a large report that we've done, various comments and an editorial, we've tried to show that. That's right, Rona. And I should say, as readers will find when they turn to this week's issue of The Lancet, there is a rather large report. (laughs) All 40 pages of it. 40 pages. It's almost half the journal is devoted to this report. We can't obviously go through every page of that report. But Ronan, do give us the essence of it, if you would. I had the deepest honour of working with Paul Hunt, who's the former UN Special Rapporteur for the Right to Health, on this project for the last, oh, coming on for two years now, I think. And what we tried to do with this was, again, first show what the right to health is. So, for example, in the introduction of the report, um, the authors really unpack what the right to health is, what it means, uh, not just the history of it, but what it means in practice, how it's just as important and how equitable health systems are just as important as a democratic political society, which not many people um, realise. And then... We tried, we thought, okay, now this is what the right to health is. How can it be measured? How can we objectively measure it? And this year has been the year of health systems. I mean, at last, health systems has gained the attention of the international community through things like the G8 Summit this year, through the 30 years Alma-Ata anniversary, through the recent ministerial conference on global health research. So at last, health systems are getting attention. And so we tried to put the two together to think, okay, this is what the right to health is. This is what health systems are. What should the right to health features for health systems be? And we agonised over this for ages and we consulted uh, with external experts as well to come up with some features, which is all well and good. But then we thought, okay, well, how do we then objectively measure these features? For example, participation is a key part of the right to health, but how can you objectively measure anything to do with participation? So after a lot of agonising and a lot of trials and a lot of... um, you know, rather complicated looking figures, we came up with 72 indicators in total that try to, in some way, objectively measure or at least be proxies for the right to health features of health systems. For example, mental health is extremely important for right to health or any health plan. And yet people with mental illness, as we've covered before in past series, are 
frequently discriminated against. You know, how could you objectively measure mental health? And so one of our indicators said how much of the national health budget do countries give to mental health services, which we know isn't going to be accurate, isn't going to be you know, a complete reflection, but it's a proxy measure of how much importance they give to mental health. So we split the indicators into 15 groups, all of them as a key features for right to health, like non-discrimination, for example, health information, national health plan. And then came the really hard bit of actually measuring or find, collecting the data for all these 72 indicators. And we did this in two ways. First, we did it on a global level. So we collected the data of 194 countries for all of these 72 indicators. And then we looked specifically at five countries as case examples. So we looked at the national level data for these countries. Because to keep our sanity for the 72 indicators, we had to look at sort of the global level for data, like go to global sites. And we tried to keep it simple by having a one-click rule because part of the right to health is that um, health information has to be accessible and it has to be available and it has to be acceptable. So once we went to a global health site, if we couldn't find what we were looking for within one click, even if it went off to another link that showed us the information, then we said that that wasn't accessible. Then we documented our findings and there is a rather large 10-page table of our findings in the report on the global level data and then we discussed the key findings. And if you can imagine 194 countries, 72 indicators, there's rather a lot of findings. So we tried to concentrate on the key ones. The first most important point is countries are not doing as they say they're doing. I know it's, it's rather boring and rather dull to talk about measurements and benchmarks, but... One of the key features of the right to health is that it's subject to progressive realisation. That is, we know it's not going to happen overnight. It's something that countries should strive towards. And that way, it's all right if you're starting from different places. For example, the UK is in a much different position from other countries, say Ghana, for example. But both should be striving to attain the highest available standard of health. The UK can't just stop because it's got a relatively high standard of health as compared to other countries. It's more comparing the country to itself, you know, where it is now and how it's progressing towards the right to health, rather a comparison with countries. But then if countries aren't measuring what they're doing, how do you know if they're progressing? And that was one of the key findings that came up. The global data just isn't there. So Rona, if you would just run through a few other key findings from the report. Again, one of the key findings is what's not there. And as I said before, participation is an absolute crucial part of the right to health. So that's, you know, citizens, different groups, especially marginalised groups, participating in the National Health Plan, for example, which was indicator 69. Now, there was no information at all on participation for any country. Now, that's not to say it doesn't exist, but just that, you know, it's not accessible if, you know, if it does exist. So there was no global data available for that at all. Another key thing is that despite ratifying various human rights treaties agreements, which incorporate the right to health, very few countries have the right to health in their constitution. Now, the United Kingdom, for example, doesn't have the right to health in its constitution. Also, access to essential medicines isn't a lot of many countries' constitution, again, including the United Kingdom. And again, the, the lack of monitoring and, and benchmarking, because the whole point of this exercise really is to then hold governments and international institutions to account but if we're not knowing if we don't even know what the situation is now uh, and no monitoring is going towards it well well how can we hold people accountable and so from all these you know many findings and I say we discussed the key ones in the report we then come up with some very specific recommendations for each of the key players involved really so that's WHO the UN organizations national governments and I just want to focus on them specifically because the ones in WHO and the UN are more around data collection and stewardship which 
is crucial, as I said. But the ones for national governments are like explicitly recognising the right to health and right to health features, such as access to essential medicines in national constitutions or statutes. That would be a great start. It would show that they're serious um, about the right to health, also about doing uh, health and human rights impact assessments before finalising comprehensive national health plans. Now, again, no country does that, but that's a crucial requirement of the right to health. So basically, it's taking all the gaps that we found in the report and then coming up with some specific recommendations. And I think another really important group is civil society, and because they're so important in holding governments to account. What we're really calling for after this report is that civil society and the health sector, who are so important for carrying this forward, that they almost like form a movement in Right to Health to, to help carry this forward so we can then you know, start measuring properly and then hold those responsible to account because so far the Right to Health hasn't really been part of the human rights agenda at all and this is you know 60 years after the Universal Declaration of Human Rights so we think that on this special day you know the 60 year anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that it's time that the Right to Health came in from the cold and was treated by everyone who cares about the health of individuals, groups and populations as the fundamental human right that it is. Thanks, Rona. I think that's an excellent summary. One thing I'm really struck by, and I just want you to re-emphasise it, this isn't some sort of honourable sort of best practice campaign. We're talking about the right to health as a legal instrument. Those are the words that are used in the editorial. Absolutely. It's a legal obligation. It's a legal right obligation. Fine. So how, but how enforceable is that then as a legal Entity. Again, one form of accountability is through the courts and there has been some cases of, of right to health accountability going through that judicial system. But what we're trying to explain in the report is that's not the only way. There's lots of other measures of account and I think people get a bit too narrow-minded sometimes with, with that being the only accountability mechanism. Countries are supposed every few years to update their progress on all human rights treaties, including the right to health. Now, that's done very, very badly by all countries, as, as shown in the report. Now, they should be doing that. The UN should be holding them accountable to these reports. But again, civil society, once we know what's happening, and we hope that this report will be a kind of benchmark it will show okay this is happening now so then we know what countries are doing what they're not doing when we do this in a few years time we'll be able to measure progress and then we can hold them properly to account because I think that's the only way that progress can be made it's not always through the courts but countries have a legal obligation and the UN and civil society and the health sector should uphold that. Can I just quickly say how thrilled we were to have a comment from the current UN Human Rights Commissioner, Navi Pillay, who endorsed the report and the right to health, and also from Amartya Sen as well, which we're really delighted to get. Thanks very much, Rona. So the right to health issue of The Lancet dated December the 13th to the 19th. And finally, and it's very relevant to the whole issue of health and human rights, do look out for the World Report section this week, which documents some of the healthcare issues going on in a horrendously conflicted part of the world at the moment. That's DR Congo. So do look out for that in the World Report section. Rona, thank you ever so much. My pleasure. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.